This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanki and Ayush Agarwal. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. Today we're joined with Terry Tucker, founder of Motivational Check. Essentially, as a former NCAA Division I basketball player, SWAT team hostage, negotiator, and cancer warrior, uh, Terry Tucker is focusing on helping people uh, become better and focusing on the healthy aspects of being sick by concentrating on his four truths to help others lead their common and extraordinary life. So, Mr. Tucker, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what you've done over the past 10 years, how, what you're kind of battling now in terms of cancer and other things and kind of essentially your whole story and what essentially motivational check is that'd be awesome sure so uh, over the last 10 years I, I back in 2012 i was a, a girls high school basketball coach down in texas when i had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe and initially i didn't give it much thought because as a coach you're on your feet a lot but after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment with a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and uh, went in to see him. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you'll have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until finally, he just laid it out for me. And he said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have a rare form of melanoma, uh, which is usually considered a, a, a skin disease, an overexposure or prolonged exposure to the sun, um, but you have it on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands is where my particular form of melanoma presents. And because of that, he recommended that I be treated at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. And so I did, I had a, a surgery to cut out the tumor on the bottom of my foot and, and the same surgery to cut out the lymph nodes in my groin. And then I had a skin graft to, uh, push over to, to go over the area on the bottom of my foot where the cancer had been cut out. And then when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. The side effects of the interferon were that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And unfortunately for me, that wasn't a cure. That was really just a, a stopgap measure to try to keep the cancer from coming back. Uh, in 2017, I had to, uh, I ended up in the intensive care unit uh, of our local hospital here in Colorado um, with a fever of 108 degrees, which usually is not compatible with being alive. Uh, fortunately, I was at a level one trauma center and they were able to stabilize me and then send me to the intensive care unit. And so because of the toxicity that interferon gave me, I wasn't able to take the drug anymore. And literally, I'd say within two months of stopping the interferon, the cancer came back in the exact same spot on my foot 
where it had presented five years earlier. And that necessitated the amputation of my foot in 2018. Cancer worked its way up my leg uh, into my shin, requiring two more surgeries in 2019. And then in 2020, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my uh, only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic uh, was to have my left leg amputated. And that's also when I found out I had uh, cancerous tumors in my lungs. And I know that sounds like a real dark and ugly journey, and it certainly has been, but I'll tell you, cancer has made me a better individual. So I, I guess I'll leave it at that and let you guys jump in if you have any questions and, and then we can kind of go on from there. Yeah, that's a really impactful story. And I'm sure that those experiences are what kind of essentially motivated you to found your business. Um, sorry, I forgot the name. Motivational Check. Uh, so if you could talk a little bit about Motivational Check and kind of how um, your story and the experiences you faced with cancer kind of motivated you and inspired you to first form this business and then kind of what the business does now, how it's like, how you expanded it over the years uh, and what you essentially, you know, aim to do through it. Yeah, Motivational Check is at this point, really nothing more than a, than a blog. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm much, much older than you guys. I mean, I, I could, I probably would qualify as, you know, grandparent material in, in your lives. But when people were suggesting that I start a blog and, and talk about my experience and, and, and try to motivate people. And I was very resistant to that. I was like, you know, I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. Starting a blog was, was something that was way over my head. And eventually enough people uh, said it to me. And, and I, there's kind of an old saying that says, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So I'm not gonna tell you that God talked to me in any way and told me to do this. But what I think God does when he wants you to move in a certain direction is to kind of put people in your path that make the same suggestion over and over. And then it's up to you. Do you, do you want to do it? I mean, we, we all have free choice, free will. Do you want to do this or do you not want to do it? And so when enough people started saying, you know, you, you want to start a blog, I, I was like, well, I was resistant. And literally my, when I started Motivational Check, it was four pages. And those four pages took me, and I'm not lying here, four months. I had no idea what I was doing. I would, you know, put something down and be like, oh, I don't know what that means. And I have to go back and research it. And so it grew very incrementally, very slowly. But it was fun for me because I was learning something new. You know, it was a, it was a new challenge. It was something that made me uncomfortable and things like that. So the, the title, the name Motivational Check came from my police academy days. I was a was a police officer, you mentioned I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Uh, but when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to give us, he gave us this phrase, motivational check. So if you were, we were doing things that were, that were hard, that were difficult, that people were, were struggling to get through, that you could just sort of yell out motivational check. And our class would respond, we were the 84th recruit class in the Cincinnati uh, police department. And so we would yell out with a, a loud 84, just to let the person know that, hey, look, yeah, I know you're hurting, but you know what? We're all in this together. We're going to get through this together. Just kind of 
hang in there. So it was, it was a, when I was looking for a, a name for my blog, that seemed to, to resonate with me. And so that's why it's called Motivational Check. And every day I put up a, a thought for the day. And with that thought comes a question, like maybe how you can apply that thought into your life in some way. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is a video or a story that I found that it, it's a little bit longer than obviously just a thought for the day. But it's something that I, I think, you know, is important that people should should think about and ponder and, and see how maybe they can incorporate in their life. And I'm just get, I'm getting ready to develop a, a membership program, uh, just started uh, working to do that. Uh, where people could get more content in terms of motivation, inspiration, leadership, and things like that. So that, that's kind of what motivational check is in, in sort of a nutshell. And, and that really led to, in 2020, me developing uh, sort of an outline for a book, which I ended up writing during the, the three-month period between the time I had my leg amputated and the time I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, every day while I was healing, I sat down at the computer and, and crafted that book. Yeah, and I know you mentioned at the beginning there uh, how you kind of got the inspiration a little bit from um, essentially being a, squ a SWAT team hostage negotiator. So if you could talk a little bit more about that, you know, because we've had some, uh, some types of these um, military police people onto our podcast for example we talked with simon osama oh uh, sorry osamo who was a british detective who was a british detective and he kind of talked about you know his experiences in scotland yard etc and then um we also talked with greg crino who was an air force pilot in the u.s army so uh but this is our first time you know talking to um someone part of the SWAT team and I think for the uh for like our audience they probably have some sort of misconception from what they see in movies of what the SWAT team does so if you could talk a little bit you know about what you did in the SWAT team what the SWAT team actually does what the full story looks like if from that specific angle sure I, I I'd be happy to so um the, the SWAT team at least from from my perspective and and again some, some SWAT teams, you know, bigger cities, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, they have full-time SWAT teams. That's, that's all they do. They're, they're big enough that they're, they're busy enough that they, they can afford to have a full-time SWAT team. We were not a full-time SWAT. We carried pagers. That, that really dates me, I know. But um, we carried pagers. And, and when we were needed, the pager went off and we were told where to go uh, in the city. And, and we, we had, you know, equipment vans and we had armored vehicles and things like that. And there, there's sort of an old joke that, you know, when the public needs help, they call 911. And when the police need help, they call SWAT. And, and it's basically when we have a barricaded subject or, uh, you know, a, a hostage situation, or we know that there's, say, a homicide suspect that's hold up with his girlfriend or something like that we will we will assemble the SWAT team we use the SWAT team for search warrants on drug houses and things like that and so the SWAT team's divided into two groups the the tactical team those are the the men and the women who uh, you know have the guns and 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 the the rifles and surround the the location and things like that 
those are the kind of people you, you see on TV all the time, you know, with, with sort of the big guns, the AR-15s and that. And then you have the negotiators. And we, we basically try to talk an individual. That, that's, that's the terminology. You know, you talk to somebody out. Really what we do is we listen people out. And, and the way it works is um, once the tactical team has surrounded the house, we will, and I'm, I'm just using a house, it can be an apartment, it can be an office building, it could be a car for that matter. And, you know, we really don't want to use force if we don't have to. We really want this person to come out voluntarily. And so what we do is, if you think about it, you know, as a police officer, you're used to, uh, probably 99% of what you do is face to face with another human being, whether you're stopping them, you know, to give them a ticket for, uh, you know, speeding, or you're answering a radio run to, you know, for a fight or a domestic, or you're knocking on the door to tell somebody to call the hospital because grandma's passed away, whatever, whatever it is, that's a face to face encounter. But as negotiators, we were not face to face with the either barricaded subject or the person who'd taken the hostages. So we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. And, and there were many times where we'd spend a couple hours kind of, you know, in, in one area just talking about things when the real problem was in an entire different area. And we, we hadn't even gotten to that. And the way I, I sort of describe this is like a teeter-totter or a seesaw at the park. You know, when we were kids, we, you know, we used to go and, you know, play with your friends and things like that. And, if when we started negotiating, the the suspects, uh, for lack of a better word, his emotional um, emotional brain way up in the air. He's 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 emotional. He's he's charged. He could be on drugs, or he could be on alcohol, or something like that. He could just be, you know. There, there's a lot of emotion associated with it, and and his rational brain is kind of down on the ground. And over the course of time, we will ask him open-ended questions. And, and I say him, sometimes it's a female, but 99% of the time it, it, it's a male. Um, we will ask him open-ended questions, you know, something like, hey, tell us about why we're here. We just want him to talk because the more he talks, the more he burns off a lot of that emotional energy until that teeter-totter is kind of at equilibrium. And then over more time, that hopefully that rational brain is up in the air and the emotional brain is down on the ground because we all make better decisions when we use our rational brain as opposed to using our emotional brain. And so we would spend time, you know, sometimes hours, it would take hours and hours to develop the rapport. And in like any relationship, one of the most important things we did was we, we had to build up trust with the person. And, the, and sometimes they would ask us, you know, it's like, hey, look, you know, I'll come out, but you got to promise me I'm not going to go to jail. And we would have to say, sorry, when, when you do come out, you are going to go to jail. But then we would try to deflect that conversation to something that was more positive. And we did this as a group. And I, I guess that's real important. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson did a movie many years ago called The Negotiator. And it, it, the, the movie portrayed him as being somebody that he did everything. Well, we don't do everything. There's one person negotiating. There's another negotiator sitting right next to that person, listening to what's going on and passing them notes. And then there's three or four other people that are kind of working the crowd where they're, you know, talking to 
the suspect's mother or sister or wife or father or whoever whoever it is like why are we here what started this and you know it may have started through an argument with his mother so as the negotiator you'll get a note that says don't mention his mother because that was the trigger for why we're here tonight and things like that and then i guess i'll, I'll end up with this about 90 percent of the time we were successful at getting the person out and 10% of the time we weren't. And basically what that means is the, the suspect made the decision to end their life. And while that was always tragic, you, you never want to have anybody's uh, life lost. The way I, I, I never lost any sleep over it. And, and don't, I hope you don't think I'm callous by saying that, but the way I look at it is, you know, whatever was led us to be at this point very well may have been, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the making, and then it came to a head, and here you are, are now talking to the police, and you know I'm doing the best I can to get you out safely and to get the hostages out safely, but it's still your choice on how you want this to end. And you know we always wanted it to end peacefully with you coming out, but it was your choice to end your life, and I knew I was doing the best I could, and I knew my team was doing the best they could. To, to resolve this peacefully, but sometimes you're just going to make the decision that you don't you don't want to go to jail, you don't want this to end peacefully, you just want to end your life, and that's always tragic. But it's something that you know it was your decision, not mine. High school, not so much a musical, is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Jaldanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.